Thank you for listening to the Shanghai Community Fellowship Podcast. To find out more about the SCF community, listen to sermons, and upcoming events, visit us at shanghaifellowship.org. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the uh, YouTube presentation of the 2023 Advent Series, SCF Advent Series. And so we're glad to have you here today. And I'm always uh, thinking uh, that those who are watching right now, uh, this may be the week of the second week of Advent 2023 for you right this week. You're you're basically watching it uh, in real time. Or uh, I'm not sure when you'll be watching this, but we're glad to have you. And uh, the message of Advent, and particularly as we focus on the second coming of Jesus, is I think always relevant. It's not just uh, it's not just for you know the month before Christmas, but it is a message really for the Christian Church all year round. And that's what we're doing today. We're continuing on. In the second part of this series, We Shall Behold Him. It's the Advent series for 2023. And as you've already guessed, uh, in this series, we are not talking about Jesus' first coming. Uh, That's the familiar Christmas story, being born in a manger, Mary and Joseph and all the angels abiding in the fields by night. Beautiful story, actually. Luke chapter 2, Matthew also tells the same story. Uh, And on the 24th of this month, Uh, which will be the fourth message in this series, Uh, that will be the focus of the message. But for these first three Sundays, we are looking ahead. We're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. And what I want to do in this talk is to look more deeply at what Peter, the Apostle Peter, has to say concerning the second coming of Jesus. So we're going to take a closer look at the letter that he wrote to Christian communities and what he has to say about the second coming of Jesus. So we're going to be looking at 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 8 to 15a and 17 and verses uh, 17 and 18. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You have to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Skipping ahead to verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless one, of the lawless rather, and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Second Peter chapter three. All right. Now, 
we need to know uh, that when Peter is writing these words, he is living in a time and uh, in a generation when the Christian community was talking about the second coming of Jesus a lot. And, and, and I mean a lot. Uh, we may not be, I don't know what you're thinking right now. I don't know how you are living out and expressing your faith in Christ and your particular Christian community right now. Maybe it is SCF, but, or, or in general, the body of Christ talking about Jesus is coming again, the second coming of Christ, being prepared for a second coming. In different generations and at different times over the last 2,000 years, the people of God will come around to this. We're always talking about it, but there's a greater emphasis on it, right? I know when I first became a Christian, I was a young teenager in the early 70s, and we were talking about this all the time. It was in our, it was in our songs that we sung. It was in our the preaching that we heard, it was in the small group studies that we did, it was uh, in the contemporary music that we listened to, it was just, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is going to return, we talked about it a lot, we might not talk about it as much today. Well, the Christian community in Peter's day uh, talked about it a lot because this is a community that was living within one generation of the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. There would be many people who might even have known someone who knew Jesus or had certainly been in uh, Judea when Jesus lived and died and was raised from the grave. They would remember uh, him talking about his coming again. And there was an expectation that for, for many that Jesus was going to come within a generation of, of those people who actually knew him, uh, the earthly Jesus, and, and there's this expectation. So they're talking about it a lot because about the time of the writing of this letter that Peter writes, it's about 30 to 40 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So it would feel like a shock to them, and it was a shock to them, when some of the people in their own Christian community started saying that the second coming of Jesus is not going to happen. So this isn't, this isn't a group of people you know, outside of the Christian community. You can, you can kind of understand why someone who's not a Christian, or let's say an atheist, might, might mock or scoff at the idea that Jesus is coming again. They don't, believe that Jesus, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or they might acknowledge that he was a historical person, but certainly not he was the divine being. Um, so, but, but my point is, and I think it's something we really need to be paying attention to, this scoffing and mocking and denying the second coming of Jesus wasn't coming from the outside of the Christian community. It's coming from within the Christian community. And it was like a slap in the face, a, a shock, cold water tossed in your face. Some people are saying that Jesus is not going to come back. It's just not going to happen. And we say then, the people then, and you might even say now, um, what do you mean? Explain. What do you mean not happening? Well, uh, those who were denying the second coming of Jesus were saying things like, hey, listen, wh what's it been, like so, uh, 30 years or so ago uh, since people had interacted with Jesus after the resurrection and his ascension? Hey, if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. So that was, that was, that was one argument, you know. Uh, the reason why it's not going to happen, that Jesus is not going to come again, is because if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. And when you think about all the things that we have been told about Jesus' second coming, they said, and the events surrounding 
his second coming, as described by Jesus and the apostles. They argued, those who denied his second coming, they would argue, has the world ever seen anything like what is being described here? Have we ever experienced anything this catastrophic, anything this universal and, and earth universe changing? And the implied answer was no. What are they referring to here? Well, they're referring to the description that Peter gives here in 2 Peter chapter 3, we just read. At a time of Jesus' second coming, the heavens will be disappearing with a roar, and the elements will, will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Or you can also read in Romans 8, verses 19 to 22, uh, another kind of description of the way the world and the earth, in fact, the universe, the entire created order, will shift. Or in Romans 8, we read, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, uh, resurrection. For the creation was subjected subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So there's coming a time at the second coming of Jesus when all of creation, the entire created order, the universe and everything beyond, everything the Hubble telescope um, and James Webb telescope has sent pictures about, uh, that's all going to be liberated and set free uh, by the coming of Jesus and the resurrected of the children, resurrection of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into this present time. In other words, in other words, the Bible is describing a time for the earth, for the, literally the planet earth that we live on in all the planets in our solar system and entire, in fact, the entire created order. So the entire scope of everything that we can see and can't see physical is going to be shaped and changed and shifted. And this is in association with the second coming of Jesus. And those who were, uh, were denying the second coming were making the argument, have, has this ever happened? Is, is it, can, can anyone think of a time when this has ever happened before? And the implied answer is no. I can't think of a time. You know, so it's not going to happen in the future. This, this time of restoration of the entire physical created order and this time of transformation of planet Earth, not going to happen, they said, because it's never happened, they said. However, and you could probably already pick up on this, the assumption of an unchanging universe or the assumption that a, this universe has never changed before is just not justified. The universe, as we experience now, has not always been in its present form. We know that now. Maybe in the first century they weren't so clear, but now we would know that the universe and the earth has changed quite a bit uh, over the millions, if not billions, of years. Things indeed have changed, and if they have changed before, it's very possible, if not likely, at least they can change again. Think about everything you're hearing about climate change, right? Uh, no, this is not a talk today about climate change, and I am certainly not a climate change expert in any way. I just read the same articles that you're reading, all right? And they just, I think that right now the, the, the uh, 
Climate Change Conference 28 uh, is going on in Dubai, I believe, is going on right now. And uh, while we're recording this and, you know, the kind of things that they're saying that could potentially happen if we don't speak to the warming of our environment. Uh, I, I just read the other day, uh, November of 2023 was the warmest November on record globally. So we're already hearing, if you're paying attention to what the climate change people are saying, is that there are some potential earth-changing, uh, I mean, earth-shaking changes that will that will be unlike anything we have ever seen before. You see, the, the denials of Jesus coming again had shaken this Christian community. They thought we were all together on this. Hey, I think we're all on the same page here. You know, we're, we're all saying the same thing. And then, and then some in that community were saying, no, we're not, because some of us here are saying that we don't think Jesus is going to come back again. And, and here's why. We just talked about that. Now, while most were not ready to join the deniers, you know, they're going to hold on. I'm not going to start denying that Jesus is not coming back. But some of these challenges had left them with some, some sincere questions. For example, questions about the timing of Jesus' second coming, of his coming again. Uh, it has been a long time, and shouldn't have Jesus return by now, and when exactly is he going to come, were the kinds of questions that sincere followers of Jesus were asking as they stood in the face of those who were denying his second coming. Now, then and now, we are not in a position to figure out God's timetable. Let's just get that out there and say that right now. You and I, as very finite and limited human beings are not in a position where we can say, this is God's timetable. We know this for sure. You know, we got the whole thing. It's all laid out. It's on an Excel spreadsheet. I got it on my laptop. No, no, we're just not in that position where we could say what God's timetable is in that kind of detail. We know what we do know because he has chosen to share it with us. We can't know it independently of him but we know what we know because he's chosen to share it with us. You say, well, like what? All right, for example, we know that no one on earth knows the day or the hour of Jesus' coming. Mark chapter 13, verse 32, this is exactly what Jesus said. No one knows. So it, why, why are we struggling so much? Why are we, why are we trying so hard to find a date, find the time, uh, to say this is when it's going to happen. No one knows. We know that. No one knows the date, the day, or the hour of Jesus' coming. We know, of course, that Christ could return at any time. What we do know is that Christ could return at any time. Uh, th there's a word for this, and the word is imminent. Imminent. And it means that his return is imminent, imminent which is like um, he could return at any time. You know, there's a cute little story that I heard many years ago about a family in church, and they're listening to the pastor talk about the second coming of Jesus, and he must have said many times, multiple times, over and over, Jesus could return at any time. Jesus could return at any time. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be this coming year, but Jesus could return at any time. And this little boy, maybe four or five years old, there with his mother, and, and, and he's heard this too. And so he looks up at her and says, uh, mommy, did the pastor say that Jesus could come back at any time? She said, yes, honey, that, that's what he's saying. And does that mean he could come back tomorrow? Said, yes, that, it could be tomorrow. He said, does that mean he could come back like 
you know, like right now? She said, well, yeah, I guess I could, he could come back right now. He said, well, then mommy, would you comb my hair? You know, good response. <laughs> mommy, would you comb, would you comb my hair? All right, we know that his coming is the next event in salvation history. The next thing in God's timeline in his bringing about the salvation of the world is going to be his coming again, his coming. And by the way, Jesus described it as like a thief in the night, all right, unexpected and with surprise. And we also know that his coming is going to come with signs. Well, there'll be signs of his coming. Now, here's the thing. Many people, myself included, I grew up in a church like this, that when we hear about and even read about the signs of his coming, we're thinking these signs are going to come well in advance, right? Like I, I, maybe, maybe a year ahead of time. Oh, oh, look, oh we, see some, we see some things changing. Wow, we see some, some signs. Maybe looks looks familiar to something we read in the Bible. Jesus is probably getting ready to come back, you know, maybe next year. You know, I don't know. But we were, you read more closely and you see that the signs of his coming are going to almost, for the most part, immediately precede his coming. So there's going to be signs that Jesus is coming back, but they're going to be like, you know, two hours before he arrives. I don't know. I just just gave that time. The day before. In other words, there isn't going to be enough time to get ready. We are going to see signs of his coming, but it will mean that his coming is essentially upon us. So if we're waiting for signs so that we can have time to get ready, that's not going to help. Bad strategy. That's not going to help at all. It also means there's no help here in date setting. We can't look for signs and say, oh, oh, we get some signs. We know now it's going to be nine months and seven days from now. No, the signs aren't going to work like that. It's time to get ready. And the time to get ready is right now. It's right now. We don't know. We talk about things we do know. Talk about things we already know. We don't know, however, if things are right on time, if God's timetable is spot on, just like the trains that leave the Hong Chao station, right on time, we're good to go, nothing's changed, or if there has been a delay. In fact, the teaching of Second Peter is the possibility that there has been and is a delay in his coming. And if there is a delay in his coming, it's a part of the plan. It's, it's not, it's not a, like, it's not a, a a revelation suddenly that there's a, a problem with the plan or, the, the, there, or there was a mistake in his coming or there's some kind of flaw in what God is trying to do. No, there's a delay here. And as we're going to see in a moment, it's by design and on purpose. And let's take a look at time here because this was the question, the question about timing. Now, remember, my long time and your long time can be two different things. I had a friend of mine that they used to see and um, uh, in another part of China in Guangxi province and and you know and I just got to know that he said you know uh, oh it's not long he said no no it's not going to be a long time you know that eventually uh, not a long time was to me a long time <laughs> so I just realized you know with, with that particular friendship uh, as I, we got to know each other and do things together that. That, okay, uh, you know, he said it won't be a long time, but, okay, that felt like a long time to me. So, so that, you, you get that. You know people in your own life, friends and family members, that you've got to work out what does a long time actually mean. Same thing with our Father in heaven. 
His long time is going to be different from my long time. In this way, you and I are bound by the limits of our own lifetime, for the most part. We have our parents. They're the generation that came behind us. We may be parents and um, we may be parents ourselves. We have children, and they're a generation going to kind of come, come up and take over. It's kind of how it's supposed to work. Maybe we have some grandchildren. But we're very bounded and limited in our perspective on time, just within the, in the scope of our families. And what we tend to do is we see, uh, uh, we see our own lifetime as the full scope of time. And we extrapolate from our own lifetime that which is the beginning and that which is the end. We don't think too much about 400 years ago or 1,600 years ago, unless you're, mad, unless you're a history teacher, maybe, and, and, and you're, you're talking about that all the time. We also tend to think that the things are the smartest generation and the most capable humans ever born and alive are the ones who are alive right now. We rarely give credit to people who have gone before us, you know, 5,000 years ago, just how smart they were. Uh, nobody could be smarter than us, right? I mean, after all, we created AI, all right? So, so this is the limitations of our lifetimes. We also, within the limitation of our own lifetimes, want to see and desire and, and, and have an expectation that things are going to be brought into their full redemption in my lifetime. We don't, we're not all that comfortable with knowing that on the day of our death, the last day of our lives, there are going to be unanswered questions for us. There are going to be incomplete projects for us. There are going to be things that have not worked together for the good of those who love the Lord for us. We're going to have to leave things with our Heavenly Father on the day that we leave this planet and the last day we take a breath. This is our perspective on time. What seems like a long time, of course, is going to depend on who you are asking. So you get this phrase in 2 Peter. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Okay, wow, that's interesting. You know the context of this? This comes from Psalm 90, verse 4. And, and I would encourage you to go back, if you can, if you want to do a little follow-up after this teaching, go and read all of the Psalm 90. It's, it's brilliant. And uh, read the whole thing. It's not very long. And it's one of the few Psalms, and maybe if, if not the only one, I can't remember now, that was written by Moses. And, and the context for that statement, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand, and a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, the context to that statement is not describing God as much as, as that context is describing people, humans. In other words, we humans are very vulnerable. The context for that statement is really the vulnerability and the brevity of human life. And if you skip down a little farther, verse number 10, one of my, one of my favorite verses lately, one I've been meditating on for a while now, we read there, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I've been, I've been meditating on that, and I invite you to do the same. Because here in the context of timing and the perspective on time, God's perspective on time, my own vulnerability and the brevity of my life, I am being challenged to number my days, teach us to number my days. I'm exploring, what does that mean to number my days? What is the psalmist asking of us to number our, our days? 
And what would it mean to gain a heart of wisdom? And what is the connection between numbering our days and gaining a heart of wisdom? Certainly, the understanding and the knowledge that timing and time itself is unique to God himself, and we need to get into the heart and the mind of God. If we are frustrated with God's eternal clock, uh, internal clock, that is, both eternal and internal, uh, uh, and, and the timing that goes with that clock, and quite frankly, uh, we often are, then know that it is because he wants everyone to be rescued and to be saved. So when God is managing time, he is doing this with patience because he wants to leave time open as long as possible before time changes so that everyone can be rescued and everyone can know him and be known by him. It's why the most, pop, not popular, but the most commonly quoted or commonly spoken verse or statement concerning the nature and character of God in the Old Testament goes like this. The Lord, the Lord our God, is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. What a beautiful description of the one who is in control of the clock the one who holds time in his hands. There is a wide mercy that is happening now. There's a wide mercy that is happening now, but once the door is closed, it's going to be closed, not to be opened. It's not going to be opened again. And because God is patient and because he is merciful, he is holding the door open now. But the door does not remain open forever. And when it is closed, it remains closed. Yeah, I think I think for most of us as humans, what we what we think in terms of mercy is more like the door closes, and somebody says, "That's it. The doors closes. Nobody else can get on the plane. The doors the doors closing. You can't you can't come in. We're all full, or whatever." And then they say, "Oh, okay. We open the door back over. You guys come on. A few more. A few more. Come on. Come on." And then close. And then we, okay, the doors closed. You can't come in. Where you can't. Nobody else can get on the plane. And then the flight attendant says, okay, come on, come on, a few more people can get on. You know, no, we, we think that's what mercy looks like. But mercy is God keeping the door open patiently, waiting on us to be rescued, to be saved, to come in. But when he closes the door, it remains closed. If there is a delay, it is because, I says, I said, God is patient and he's keeping this door open as long as possible because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. For you and I, who have stepped through that door of mercy, we must take advantage of the delay in his coming. See, what does that mean for us? Jesus is coming, but there's been a delay in his coming. Now what? Well, for those of us who have walked through the door of mercy, then we need to take advantage of the delay in his coming. And how do we do that? We can take advantage of the delay in his coming by speeding up 
his coming. I love this. If you I saw that, maybe heard me as I read the text. You know, Peter said, we can actually speed up, or I love this word, hasten, uh, we can speed up the coming of Jesus. We have some influence over his coming again. That's right. We can speed up the next coming of Jesus. God, Richard Bachman said, is graciously factoring his people's actions into his determination of the time of the end. So what must we do? All right, number one. We should loosen the grip that Satan has on our lives right now. We should loosen the grip that Satan has on our lives right now. Some of us have made some choices. And yes, we're Christians. And yes, we say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and he is. But through our choices and through our behaviors and our actions, we have opened up the door for Satan to have a small room in our heart He's there, he's comfortable, and he's got a grip on our lives because of the things that we have done and the choices that we have made. Now is the time to tell Satan he has to loosen his grip on us, take his hands off of us. He has no place here, and he has no grip on your life or mine. But our choices and our behaviors have to change. They have to change. We have to come in alignment with the lordship of Jesus over me, over us. We behaved ourselves into these problems and into these situations and into the consequences of our sin. We are going to have to behave ourselves out of this situation. We're going to have to behave ourselves with our actions and our choices out of the grip of Satan so that we might be truly and completely free and we're not doing that in our own strength. We're not doing that because we're going to fire ourselves up and give ourselves a pep talk every morning. We're doing that with the Spirit's help. Secondly, we can start listening to the people who are close to us, especially when they're talking about spiritual things. You think about the people that you know. You know, family members, right? Your parents, uh, your children, if you're, you are a parent, uh, brothers and sisters, co-workers, classmates, people that, that you are already in some kind of a relationship with. Maybe it's a, you're very close, like a parent or a family member, or you're, you're just more casual, like a classmate. But people around you are in spiritual conversation and are having spiritual thoughts, and they might even bring that up in your presence or with you. They might even ask you, what do you think? You're a Christian, they say. What do you think about this? As you listen to people, encourage them as they talk about spiritual things or about their lives. Encourage them. Encourage them to turn away from their life where Jesus is not in it. So as you're listening, you're caring, and you're loving in your listening, as you hear people talk about their struggles and hear their questions, you are encouraging them. You know, you know something you might want to, sounds like you want to give that up. Sounds like you want to get away from that. Sounds like you're tired and frustrated with this kind of thing. And sounds like you want things different. Sounds like you want to change. Encourage them to move away from living the kind of life where Jesus is not in it, and encourage them equally to move toward Jesus as they talk about the things that they desire. So it doesn't have to be like a weird conversation. It doesn't have to be kind of a cold call. Hey, I want to tell you how to become a Christian. Now, somebody asks you that question, of course, that's how you would respond. 
Oh, okay, this is how you become a follower of Jesus. But you and I get in a lot of conversations, partly, partly because you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is already at work in the lives of people, drawing them to himself, and there's a connection going on there between the Spirit of God and you and the Spirit of God over them, drawing them to the Father, and he's trying to get my attention and your attention to be a part of a conversation that encourages them away from the world and toward our Savior. Number three, we can go to the places where people have never heard about Jesus. We can go to the places where people have never heard about Jesus. You might say, well, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Joe. Come on, this is, you know, this is the 21st century. You mean there are, there are places still in the world? You know, the, the, the earth is not that big. And, and there are places in the world where people have never heard about Jesus or the plan of salvation or the way of life in Jesus' name. You know what? There are places like that. According to the Joshua Project, there are 4,448 frontier people groups in the world today. You say, what's a frontier people group? This is a place that in this unique people group, identifiable often by language and unique culture, uh, where there are either virtually no Christians, less than 0.1%, and no known Jesus movement. You say, well, how many people are we talking about here? It's like a little bit over 2 billion people in the world today, and the total world population is something like 8 billion all right, so a quarter, to nearly 25% of the world has never heard about Jesus and isn't likely to hear about God's love for them and his salvation for them unless someone goes, unless someone goes. We must reach this generation while there is still time for people to repent and trust in his name. We should consider not praying to decide whether or not we should go, but praying to decide whether or not we should stay. Matthew 28. If you want to find out more about unreached people groups and frontier people groups and where there are people in the world who've never heard about Jesus, go to joshuaproject.org and you'll learn all that you want to know there. Great, great website. Number four, we have to pray. We have to pray. We have to pray now. Because after all, this is a spiritual battle. Let's not forget that. Pray, his kingdom come. It's, an, it's a classic Advent prayer. His kingdom come, his kingdom come. Number five, we must keep on growing in God's grace. It's, this comes right out of Second Peter. We just read it in a moment ago, chapter three. And, and it says that we should, I think it was verse number 17 or 18, that we should keep on growing in grace. And I love that phrase. Let me give you the whole thing. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was doing some reading this week on uh, a blog that I uh, subscribe to. It's actually to send it to me uh, from an organization called Prepare and Enrich. And it's a marriage support. It's all about marriage and singles who are wanting to be married. You know, so, but um, one of the things uh, that's discussed there, and then I was listening to a podcast uh, by another uh, marriage counselor that I like to listen to, Deb Valeta, and and just reminding us that when you are married, 
you don't stop growing as a marriage partner or as a spouse. Now, you might, but you shouldn't. Yeah, marriage doesn't work that way. It's like, okay, you know, I'm taking care of myself. I'm looking good. You know, I'm talking good. You know, I'm smelling nice until I find somebody and I've got a great presentation. But now that I'm married, forget it. You know, I'm just kind of, I'm putting it on coast. I'm just, I'm just putting a neutral. I'm just going to cruise on by. I'm just not taking care of myself anymore. I'm not growing anymore. The same principle that you were told when you were single, the best way to prepare for marriage is to be the best version of you in Christ that you could become, is the same counsel for people who are married. Continue to grow and work on your stuff, work on yourself to be the best version of you in Christ so you can be an awesome marriage partner to your spouse. Because the health of the marriage is depending on the health of each partner, of each person. See, why are you talking about this, Pastor Dale? Because as the body of Christ, as God's people, the Bible says and uses this metaphor of marriage to say that we are in marriage with Jesus. He's the groom. We are the bride. And to be the best bride, to be the best marriage partner, to be fully fitted out, that we might be ready for His coming, we need to work on our stuff and grow in grace. Continue growing in grace. Now, there are many ways to do that, but keep, keep working on the fundamentals. Keep going back to those things you've done from the very beginning. You say, oh, I've been over those many, many times. Don't mess up on the fundamentals. Love God by obeying him. Love God by doing the things he has led you to do. Love God in your full obedience and in your desire for him and for him alone. Take a look at your own heart. Examine yourself and see if there is any wicked way in you, any sinful way left in you, and ask God's forgiveness and then remove it as you remove the grip of that old kingdom off of you, fully embracing the light of Christ. One of the ancient prayers of the church is in the last few words of the last book of the Bible. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. We are waiting for his return. Jesus is coming back. He's coming soon. You might as well go ahead and comb your hair right now because he's coming soon. And could be tomorrow, could be this week, could be by the end of 2023, could be in 2024. It's not so much about knowing the date, the time, the day, the month, not a calendar thing. It's about not only being ready, but also using the delay to bring glory and honor to his name so that we are all ready for the glory of his appearing. Amen.